As we continue in John's gospel, we see here in the 8th chapter the hostility of the Jewish leaders growing more and more. And the more their hostility grows, the more Jesus condemns their sin and hypocrisy. And Jesus never, ever backs down. You ever notice that about Jesus? Never pulls away. We might, when we're preaching the gospel and, we, and hostility grows, we might pull back. Jesus never, ever backs down. And the more they criticized and rejected him, the more he shot them down. And this was really love on Christ's part because he was showing them their sin and their hypocrisy. And in this context that we're going to read tonight, he was showing them their false security in having been physical descendants of Abraham. And as long as they were hanging on to this false security, they were blinded to the fact that they needed a savior, Jesus. And false security must be dealt with in a person's life before they will come to know Jesus. And that will change their ancestry from a child of the devil to a child of God. Did you know that? That before you came to Christ, you were a child of the devil? That the devil was your father and my father? And when we came to Christ, we became children of God? Let's read John 8, 37 to 47. Let's all stand and read it together. I'm not going to always do this, but sometimes I like doing this because it helps you um, to concentrate a little more on, this, on, on, the, on the text. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you will wills to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and has nothing to do with the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. And Father, I thank you for this text of scripture that we continue in the 8th chapter of John. And God, I pray, God, that we would hear what the Spirit has to say. That we would see only Jesus in this text. And we would know, God, 
then it's by Christ and Christ alone that saves. And I pray that you open the hearts of all the hearers here today. In Christ's precious name. Amen. In September of 1874, in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, around four or five hundred people gathered for a family reunion. It was the family of the renowned pastor theologian, Jonathan Edwards, and his wife, Sarah Pierpont. The gathering was filled with professors, business executives, government officials, ministers, and according to one account, women of unusual beauty and force of personality. All of these at this reunion gathering were part of the Edwards family. It was said to have been the, the, product, the proudest celebration of ancestry that has ever been held in America. A study by the uh, Genealogical and Historical Society said, probably no two people married since the beginning of the 18th century have been progenitors of so many distinguished persons as Jonathan Edwards and Sarah Pierpont. 26 years later, in 1900, A.E. Winship did a study on Edwards' descendants and found these remarkable results. From the single union of Jonathan and Sarah came 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers, and a dean of outstanding law of, of, of a dean of outstanding law, law school, 30 judges, 66 physicians, and a dean of medical, and 80 and 80 holders of public office, among them three U.S. senators, mayors of three large cities, governors of three states, um, a vice president of the United States, and a controller of the United States Treasury. Winship concluded and said, there is scarcely any great American industry that has not had one of this family among its chief promoters. The family has cost the country nothing in pauperism, in crime, in hospital or asylum service. On the contrary, it represents the highest usefulness. And what a testimony of the godly influence of Jonathan Edwards and his wife. Now some of you may have heard that story before. However, there is another statistic about the family that is rarely mentioned. And that is Jonathan and Sarah's grandson, Aaron Burr. Anybody here ever hear Aaron Burr? Who, although he was the vice president of the United States, was a murderer. He was the one responsible for killing Alexander Hamilton in a duel. And he also plotted to crown himself as the emperor of Mexico. So this man, to say the least, demonically reversed the wonderful heritage of the Edward family. Even though a godly heritage is of great value, and we all desire that, it does not guarantee salvation. Maybe some of us come from a long line of Christians. Maybe we have generations of missionaries or preachers in our family line. But that's no guarantee that we will be saved. Our guarantee comes faith in Christ, not our godly heritage. And this is precisely what our text tonight deals with. Most of the Jews in Jesus' day thought they had salvation because of physical connection with Abraham. However, Jesus proves them wrong. And here's my proposition to you tonight. And I want you to think about this. Is God our true father because we trust his son, Jesus Christ? Or is the devil our father because we reject Christ? And in chapter 8, 
as I said before, there is increasingly hostility toward Jesus. This is, he's on his way to Jerusalem to die, and he knows it. And the hostility is getting greater and greater. And if you remember, the last time, or a few times ago, when I preached, in verse 12, Jesus, the 8th chapter, in verse 12, Jesus said to the crowd, I am the light of the world. Remember that? Of course, implying that his hearers were in darkness without him. And that statement ruffled the feathers of the Jewish leaders, and they challenged Jesus' authority. And the more they challenged Jesus concerning his person and work, the more Jesus shed light on their wickedness. They challenged his witness. They challenged his origin. They challenged him about their freedom. They challenged his judgment. They challenged his relationship to his father. They were constantly contradicting Christ. And Jesus responded by giving them a reality check throughout the chapter. If you read chapter 8, he said, You do not know where I come from or where you are going. You judge according to the flesh. You know neither my father or me. You will die in your sin unless you believe in me. Where I am going, you cannot come. You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. He told them implicitly that they were slaves of sin. That they were not free like they thought they were. And in our text tonight, Jesus tells the ultimate... That their father is not God, but the devil. And that was a stinging rebuke to the Jewish leaders. That was a stinging rebuke to their pride. Can you imagine telling someone, hey Joe, your father is the devil. That wouldn't go over very well, would it? That's what Jesus did. In essence, the Jews were actually condemning themselves by rejecting the Messiah, who was directly in their midst. And let's look at three reality checks of ancestry, Jesus gives us here is then and today. If you got your outline, look at him. Who were they children of? Were they children of Abraham? Were they children of God? Or in reality, were they children of the devil? The, the Jews emphatically claimed the first two. They, they said emphatically that they were children of Abraham and they were children of God. Let's look at the first one, children of Abraham. And just because we come from a godly line of believers doesn't make us children of God. The Jews claim to be, number one, in the sub-point, a physical descendant of Abraham. They claim to be a physical descendant of Abraham. Verse 37 and 38 again. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and and you do what you have heard from your father. You see, the Jews thought they were free because they were physical descendants of Abraham. And he was the patriarch, Abraham. In verse 33, they tell Jesus, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. And they actually thought that they were in Abraham's lineage because they were in Abraham's lineage that that was their guarantee into the entrance of of God's kingdom. They actually thought that. Dr. Kent Hughes says there was a common belief back then that Abraham was so godly and had stored up such a vast treasury of merit that if his descendants would draw upon it, they would attain righteousness. That's what they thought back then. As a matter of fact, the second century apologist, Justin Martyr, when he was having a discussion with a Jewish opponent, Trifo, 
who thought that if you were a descendant of Abraham, you would be given the eternal life, even if you were a sinner and an unbeliever and disobedient to God. And Justin Marta, um, he responded to him, basically said, you're out of your mind. If anyone believes that, you have bewitched yourselves. And that's what they thought. They were attached physically in the line of Abraham. So they thought, well, we're going to have eternal life. Now Jesus did acknowledge, and hear this, he did acknowledge their physical attachment traced through back through the centuries to Abraham, but he denied that they were true spiritual descendants of him. Why? Well, first of all, they were trying to kill him. If they were truly Abraham's descendants, they would be obeying and living in God's word the way Abraham did. And they would have been rejoicing at his presence instead of trying to kill him. A few verses down, Jesus tells them in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. In essence, Jesus was saying, okay, you're physically from the line of Abraham, but you're not believing and conducting yourselves as he did. And the Old Testament scriptures give a wonderful illustration on how one is not necessarily saved just because they are physical descendants of Abraham. In the Old Testament, Abraham was promised a son. Remember that? Who through him the nations would be blessed. However, Abraham had two sons. One of them was Ishmael, who was not the one God promised to him, but rather the second son, Isaac. He was the son of the promise. Just because Ishmael was a physical son of Abraham, right? And you can't get any closer than that as a descendant because he came from Abraham's body. And yet, he was not the son of the promise. Isaac was. And through Isaac's seed came the promise of the Messiah, not Ishmael. And when we come to the New Testament, Paul the Apostle illustrates the the principle beautifully in that just because a person was a physical descendant of Abraham does not necessarily make him a true heir of the promise. Romans 6, Romans 9, excuse me, verses 6 through 7. Paul says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. And Paul is saying, what Paul is saying is, there was never a promise that every Jew would be saved. There was never a promise of that. Nor was it the case that all the physical children of Abraham would truly be part of of God, the people of God. You see, it's not the physical descendants of Abraham who were God's children, but those who had received and are walking in the promises made to Abraham. To put it in today's vernacular, it's not the children of Christian parents who are children or Christians, but those who place their faith in Christ who genuinely become the true children of Abraham. So their claim to be descendants of Abraham may have been physically true. But it certainly was not spiritually true. They were doing what they heard from their father because God's word really had no place in their hearts. And Jesus was telling them what he had heard from his father, God's word. So when a person claims to be godly but rejects the teachings of Jesus that came directly from heaven, 
then it, they in reality are getting their directives from their father, who is not God, and will not enter the kingdom of God, even though they come from a godly line of believers. Now they claim to be physical descendants of Abraham, but they also claim to be spiritual descendants of Abraham. Let's read verse, verses 39 to the first half of 41. And they answered, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I came from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And once again, and at this point, we should not expect anything else. They contradict Jesus. Abraham is our father. I could see them saying that with a lot of arrogance. And what they were saying to oppose Jesus' argument was, not only were they the offspring of Abraham, but Abraham was their spiritual father. And once again, Jesus did not deny their physical attachment to Abraham, but challenged their spiritual relationship to him. They truly believed they were following the pattern of faith that Abraham had. Yes, they were children of Abraham according to the flesh, but of faith and holiness, they were not. They were far from that. They were the complete opposite. They were not doing what Abraham did. Abraham was a man of extraordinary faith. In Genesis 15.6, Romans 4.3, and Galatians 3.6, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. And because of God's unconditional covenant he made with Abraham, Abraham believed God, and the result was what Genesis 26.5 says. He says he obeyed God's voice and kept his charge, his commandments, his statutes, and his laws. Abraham was saved by faith, not works. He believed and obeyed. They did not. And many of the Jews' efforts were based on law and tradition, not faith. They did not do what Abraham did. They did not do what Isaac did, or Jacob, or Moses, or Joshua, or Samuel, or David, and so on. As a matter of fact, the unbelieving Jews had this whole cloud of witness against them. In chapter 11 of Hebrews. You know when it talks about we have a cloud of witnesses surrounding us? Well they had that same cloud of witnessing against them. Because they were not living by faith. All the Old Testament saints lived by faith. They looked forward to the coming. Just like we look back to the Messiah. They looked forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. And um, even though... Neither the Old Testament saints nor us have ever seen the physical Christ we believe by faith. And yet, they had Jesus right in their midst with all the miracles, signs, wonders, raising the dead, and they still refuse to believe. It doesn't take much faith to believe in Christ, who you see heal the sick and raise the dead with your physical eyes. It doesn't take much faith. But yet, not even that is a guarantee that you're going to believe. You remember the, the parable? With the, well, if it was a parable, many scholars disagree with that, but about the rich man and Lazarus, when he was in hell, the, the rich man looked up to heaven and saw Abraham and Lazarus, and he said, please send Lazarus down to cool my tongue because these flames are, are very hot and I'm in torment. And he wouldn't do it. He said, there's a great chasm between us and you. And he said, okay, then send Lazarus to my brothers. I have five brothers to warn them. 
And you know what Abraham said? Even if someone rises from the dead, they won't believe. They have Moses and the prophets, meaning the word of God. Let them listen to, to them. So, even if someone, we saw someone raised from the dead, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to believe. And the Jews did not believe. They have Christ right in their midst. And Jesus, in essence, was saying, Abraham believed and served God. And since Jesus was God the Son, they should have believed His word. But instead, they were trying to kill Him. The very opposite of what Abraham did, who rejoiced because of Jesus. They were behaving just like their father. They were not true children of Abraham. And you know what true children, true spiritual children look like? They live by faith, which results in obedience. Dr. R.C. Sproul said, Jesus defines sonship not in terms of biology, but in terms of obedience. The Bible illustrates this well in the life of Paul the Apostle, who went from putting on or putting his trust in the law and his heritage to putting his trust in the finished work of Christ, which led to obedience. Paul was as devout as a Jew can get. If, if there was a dictionary today that says who was the most religious person that ever lived, they'd have a picture of Paul the Apostle. He was a pedigree. He came from a strict line of devout Jews. He tells us in Philippians, the Philippian church in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You see, Paul was circumcised on the prescribed day. That was the eighth day. That was what they were supposed to do. Paul was a direct descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a prestigious tribe, the lead tribe, which was part of the Davidic dynasty, who remained loyal to the Davidic line. He was born to Hebrew parents. He was a Pharisee, which was the legalistic fundamentalist of Judaism. He was so zealous for the traditions of Judaism that he approved of Christians of, of a Christian's execution. Uh, he was so externally righteous that no one can, can, can accuse him of breaking the law. Paul had perfect credentials and an, impos- an impeccable ancestry uh, line anyway, better than anyone, better than anyone. And yet, when the Lord opened his eyes on the road to Damascus, going to persecute and kill more Christians, Paul realized his perfect credentials and his impeccable ancestry was now rubbish. Martin Luther calls it dung. It's worthless. And he finally realized that. And that's because the Lord opened his eyes. He counted all that all he had as a loss so he could get so he could be in God's ancestry line and gain, and gain Christ's righteousness, something that he could never get through human ancestry and human effort. You and I could have been raised in the godliest home and had the godliest parents and followed our religious affiliation to the T. However, it will not get us in God's kingdom. Only belief in the Savior can. Then we will be true children of Abraham because we'll be following his pattern of faith. Galatians 3.7 says, Know then that it is those by faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
So they also believed they were children of God. The audacity that they could believe that they were children of God. You see, when we honor and love God the Father's Son, Jesus, we are genuinely children of God. Let's read verse 41, the second half of that, to verse 43, and then we'll go to verse 47. And they said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And verse 47, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And I would like to know how that phrase, we are not born of sexual immorality, was said. And remember that I said earlier that the hostility was growing and it was getting greater and fiercer. As a matter of fact, they were ready to kill Jesus. They've had it with him. They've had it up to here with him. And now Jesus had the audacity to say, you are not children of Abraham, and God is not your father. So their response was one of accusation. And I think they made this statement with demonic venom. We were not born of sexual immorality, with the implication you were. And it's possible, of course, they were referring to the controversy at the time surrounding the virgin birth. They obviously didn't believe that Mary's conception came about by the miracle of the Holy Spirit. And they implied that his birth, unlike theirs, was illegitimate. In other words, out of wedlock. And we must understand that these words that were spoken to Jesus were serious accusations against the Son of God. We often think of Jesus' suffering on the cross only. However, the son, of, the son of God, I believe, suffered before the cross by way of rejection, by way of his rejection of his chosen people. John tells us on the onset of his gospel that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now, I, I, I can't even imagine what that's like creating a nation and calling them his own special people and that these special people rejected him. And the closest Understanding we can get of this is a child rejecting his, his or her parents. That's, but that's not even close to what Jesus went through. And as we continue in John's gospel, we see the hostility growing more and more until the Jews finally succeed in killing Jesus. Albeit, God's plan to save lost sinners. It was God's plan all along. He just used sinful men. That always boggles my mind. That God created men... Men sinned against them and he uses those same men to cause the redemption for many. Always boggled my mind. So the Jews respond to Jesus with the slanderous accusation and then claim God as their father, probably alluding to the Old Testament passages where God calls Israel his son. And that's true. If you read the Old Testament, God calls Israel his son. But it's Israel in a national sense. However, spiritually speaking, God is only the Father to those who truly believe Him and totally trust in Him, and they didn't. And there are two tests to prove we are children of God. And you can see that in your outline. Actually, I don't have it in this outline. Oh, yes, I do. First test is, if we are true children of God, do we love God's Son? 
Verse 42 again. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God. And I am here. I came not of my own accord. But he sent me. And here is the litmus test. If we truly love God. And God is truly our father. Is loving, honoring and obeying his son. You don't honor the son. You don't honor the father. There are many religions. Many religions. That claim to honor Jesus Christ. But they reject him as divine. They are not honoring the son. Therefore they are rejecting the father. Jesus claimed with absolute certainty. That he came from God. And he was one with God. So it stands to reason. If you love God. And claim him as your Abba father. You love the son. And do you love the son today? We can only answer that question for ourselves. Do we love the son? What proof do we have that we love the son? And Jesus lays it out clearly in the 14th chapter of John. Starting at verse 15. He says. If you love me. What? You will keep my commandments. And then in verse The same chapter in verse 21 through 24, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not his chariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Do we love God? Yes. If we do, we love and obey his eternal son. Dr. John MacArthur says, Love for Christ is inseparable from obedience. Now, we're not saved by obeying commandments. We obey commandments because it's the result of our salvation. Understand that. Religion says obey commandments or false hypocritical religion says obey commandments and you'll be saved. Christianity says God saves you and then you obey commandments. Put your trust and faith in him and then you have the right motive, the right, the the power to obey God. We obey his commandments because, once again, it's the result of our salvation, which proves our love for him. And by the way, we love him because he first loved us. And the opposite is true for the unbelievable. They don't love God because they don't love or obey his son. And Paul had some harsh words. Paul had some harsh words for those who reject the son in his first letter to the Corinthians, the 16th chapter and the 22nd verse. He says... If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, what? Let him be accursed. I didn't say that, so don't stone me. If you honor the Son, you honor the Father. Jesus also said, if you hate me, you hate my Father also. A true child of God is characterized by loving his Son. The second test, if we're true children of God, is... Do we love God's word? Now here's where the rubber meets the road. You could say, I love God. I could say, I love God. But if we don't love and honor his, and obey his word, then we got to think back. Do I really love God as much as I say I do? Let's read. In verse 43 and verse 47. 
Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. In verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. See, the Jews were not able to hear the words of God, of Jesus, who was sent from God because God was not their father. Of course they could hear Jesus physically, and certainly spoke, Jesus certainly spoke with clarity, but they could not hear spiritually. Anyone who is not born again, who has not been changed by God in his or her heart, will not and cannot hear or understand spiritually God's word. In, in Paul's first letter uh, to the, uh, the epistle to the Corinthians, he tells them in chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person, listen to this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is, now listen to this, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Do you know, do you want to know why a person cannot accept the gospel when you proclaim it to them? Sometimes you share the gospel with someone and you you don't understand why they don't accept it. It's because they can't. They will not and they cannot. Sometimes we share the gospel with people and we get frustrated. And it's happened to me. Because they just don't get it. You know, we say, how can they not understand the simple gospel? Or why are they rejecting such a glorious gospel? And we desperately try to convince them. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Okay, thank you. And listen carefully. You and I and every Christian are called to proclaim the good news, not to convince or save them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit does not lift the veil from their spiritual lies, they will not, nor cannot, receive the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. They can't. Whoever rejects the clear teaching of God's word is no better than the Jews of Jesus' day. They had a veil. And unless Christ lifted the veil, they were not going to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were not going to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want to identify a true child of God? A true child of God loves Jesus and they love and obey his word and identify, and that identifies a, a true child of Abraham and ultimately a true child of God. So if the Jews or anyone for that matter are not true children of Abraham and ultimately not a child of God, whose child are they? Well, verse 44 to 46 tells us, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the fire of uh, the father of lies. Now, that's a very scary thought that outside of Christ, a father is the devil. I mean, that's a very scary thought to me. But he is if we don't love and obey Christ and his word. If God is not our father, we are children of the devil. If we reject God's son, we prove ourselves to be children of the devil. Satan, by nature, was a murderer and a liar. Jesus said he was a murderer, and and more likely he was referring to the fall when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, who yielded to the temptation and, and sinned against God. That sin brought about their spiritual debt, not only to them, but also to the entire human race. 
Romans 5.12 tells us, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And Jesus also called him not only a murderer, he said, but you're a liar. He lied to Eve in Genesis 2.16. God clearly told Eve, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then in Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5, Satan lies to Eve saying, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And Satan lies. He lied to Eve. He lied to um, Adam. And it was because it's his nature and it's his disposition to lie. That is part of him. There is no truth in him. He is diametrically opposed to God's character. God is the opposite. God is truth. The writer of Hebrews tells us it is impossible for God to lie. Donald, Dr. Donald A. Carson says, Just as God inevitably speaks the truth, the devil spontaneously gravitates to lying. And listen... He's the father of all who lie. It says in Romans, let God be true and every man a liar. Outside of Christ, we're all liars. When a person denies Christ, he is a liar. 1 John 2.22 The Jews were were murderers and liars. They denied Jesus and wanted to kill him, proving to be children of the devil. The unbelieving Jews were not the only ones who were of the family of Satan. 1 John 3.8 tells us whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Jesus sometimes gets very harsh because he has people that refuse to believe in him. It's no different today. I'm not saying we go around telling people you're of your father, the devil. That won't go over too well. But we never, ever shrink back from telling the truth to people. In love. In love. There's a way to tell people the truth of the gospel in love. Dr. Warren Wiersbe gives, and he rightly gives, seven characteristics of the children of the devil. And it's on your outline. Let's read them. First of all, they will not give place to the word of God. They trust in the flesh, meaning human birth, or human works. They hate Christ and seek to kill him. You could say now, well, how, does, how do people hate, if, how, how are people trying to kill Jesus today? Well, if you hate him, you're trying to kill him. What does the Bible teach us? That if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. The same thing, murder begins in the heart. They do not love Christ or the things of Christ. They do not understand the word. They're blinded by Satan. They are liars and they love lies more than the truth. They will not hear the word of God. They hate it. So if that's what characterizes the children of the devil, what characterizes the children of God? Well, they give place to the word of God in their hearts. They don't trust in ancestry or good works. They trust in the finished work of the cross. They love Christ and they rejoice in him. They love the things of Christ. Do you love the things of Christ? Do you love Christ and anything that has a, that's attached to Christ? They understand the word because the veil has been removed. They love the truth. And they hear and obey the word because they love it. 
So you could see what characterizes the children of God is the complete opposite of what characterizes the children of the devil. And as children of God, we may not do these things perfectly in this life, but we constantly are striving to live in truth. Not so for the children of the devil. In reality, they live in lies. And Jesus tells them in verse 45, he says, Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? And I love what Dr. Carson says. It's, he says, because they are so characterized by lies that they, will not, that they will not be able to accept the truth precisely because it's the truth. On the other hand, they couldn't convict Jesus of sin because he never sinned, although they tried to convict him. They tried to convict him of blasphemy. They tried to convict him of breaking the Sabbath. However, in reality, they, had, they didn't have a leg to stand on. And Isaiah, speaking of Jesus as a suffering Messiah, said no deceit was found in him. Paul told the Corinthian church, he knew no sin. And the writer of Hebrews said, Jesus was tempted in all things, yet without sin. So why, if the sinless Son of God tells them the truth, do they not believe? The second half of verse 47 tells us why. Because they were not of God. Even though they thought they were. And do you know why a person does not believe the gospel? When you tell them, because they are not of God. Even though they may say they are. There are many religions today that claim they know the way to God. You have Buddhists, Hindus, you have Muslims, even so-called Christian religions, such as Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Christian scientists, etc., etc. Some of these religions outright reject Jesus, we know that. But some try to reduce Jesus to a, a man-man or a good teacher, stripping him of his deity, and in effect, in effect they reject Christ. They are not the children of God, but in reality, the children of the devil. And there are many in the church which claim to belong to God, but have a wrong view of, of Christ. They deny his divinity. They live ungodly lives. They pervert the grace of God. They are not children of God. Their father is the devil. Many of you have heard people say, we are all children of God. How many of you have heard people say that? We are all children of God. No, we're all creations of God. The children of God are those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and as a result place their trust in Christ. And why did Jesus, what did Jesus do in this passage of Scripture? You see, he was destroying their false security the Jews had in being descendants of Abraham. And he is destroying our false hope and putting our trust in heritage or anything other than the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now how can this be applicable on a secondary level for you and me who are true children of God. We don't trust in our heritage. We don't trust in our good works. But we do trust in the finished work of Christ, His death and resurrection. So how can this apply to the true child of God? And I think here's what we need to be careful of as children of God. You know, when you, when you, when you come to a text, there's only one interpretation of a text. But there might be a thousand applications. And I think this is what we need to be careful of as children of God. First of all, we need to know how to instruct people that they cannot get to heaven by their parents or grandparents' uh, faith or just because they belong to a true Christian church. You need to be able to articulate that to, to someone if you're sharing the gospel with them. But another thing uh, is, 
And I think we ourselves as believers need to be careful about bad teaching we, had, we were brought up under. Now let me, let me explain. We may have heard the gospel and have been truly born again and belong to a true Christian church. However, some of the doctrines of that particular denomination or especially independent churches were incorrect. In other words, they preached a true salvation message But when it comes to the other teachings like gifts of the spirit, baptism, eschatology, roles in the church, church government, etc. Their teaching is off and for some way off. And as true believers we need to study the scriptures and abandon any bad teaching we have learned. We should not say, well this is what my parents believe, or this is what my denomination taught me, so this is what I believe. You see when I first became a Christian... I did go to a solid Christian church that understood and taught accurately the salvation message. However, one of the teachings, and I'm just giving you one example, there was many teachings, but one of the teachings was you can lose your salvation. After studying the Bible and listening to sound teachers of the word of God, I realized that the teaching was off. Did I say, well, the church taught me well concerning salvation, uh, that uh, you could lose your salvation. So therefore, I believe it just because they... No, no, I didn't do that. I turned away from that wrong teaching and believed the Scriptures. We are committed to the Scriptures first before anything or anyone. And let me conclude by saying we are all children of someone. We are all children of someone. It's either God or the devil, regardless of our heritage or what we have been taught by others. Jesus came to seek and save the lost and destroy all false hope. And when we truly trust and honor Him, we are children of God. But if we reject God's Son, we prove ourselves to be children of the devil and we will share in His, in his punishment for eternity in hell. Do you love Jesus? Do you love His Word? Has it dramatically changed your life? By the way, that's why we have Sunday school for children. Because they need to come into a relationship with the Savior. Not depending on their parents who cannot save them. Only Christ can. Amen. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you, God, that you show us. And you chop to pieces our false security. And that security cannot come from heritage. It cannot come from a denomination. It cannot come from good works. It comes from one thing and one thing only, and that's faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. If we honor your Son, Jesus Christ, we honor you. Help us to honor you today, Lord. Help us to constantly love you and love your word. We thank you, Father, in Christ's precious name. Amen.